Don't you just love Joseph's dramatic accompaniment? It was so ominous, just like these verses from Matthew. Y'all need to keep a scorecard this year. I told you last time I preached that the year of Matthew, like fasten your seatbelts. This is the year of Matthew. And we may be avoiding some of these gospel lessons more often than we engage them. I'm going to try to tackle it today. Oh, boy is right. I heard that. There is so much we can learn about our nature from children's behavior. When our children were young, they were always in competition with one another to be at least as good as, if not better than, their sibling. And they always wanted to make sure they got credit for doing good things. My youngest son, Owen, to this day, hates tomatoes. And if we praised Owen for eating his tomatoes, the other two children would quickly chime in, I ate my tomatoes too. Totally different. Those two don't hate tomatoes. Eating tomatoes is not a hardship for them or a feat to be praised. It was actually, truthfully, performing the bare minimum. And there's so many examples of this with my children and I guarantee with yours. Where someone wanted credit for doing something that really wasn't all that hard. Do we ever really outgrow that mentality? I think not. How many times have you heard or possibly even said, I'm not a bad person. I mean, it's not like I've killed anyone or anything. I think you'll agree that not murdering someone is a pretty low bar. (laughs) Again, doing the bare minimum. Jesus, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, addresses this very thing. These verses are called the antitheses. And he uses a rhetorical device, the repeated phrases of, you have heard that it was said, followed closely by the word, but. And of particular importance to us as we explore this gospel lesson this morning is understanding that these remarks from Jesus are a continuation of what we heard last week. And it's important to put it in context. So let's hear these few sentences again, because I'm sure you've forgotten them. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus has not come to discount or abolish the law, but rather to bring it to fulfillment, to give the law flesh and meaning. In these antitheses, Jesus is not trying to contradict the Torah laws, but instead 
to bring his disciples into deeper compliance, not with the letter of the law, but with the will of God that inspired the law. Compliance with the heart of the law by focusing not just on actions writ large, but on intentions. It is one thing to behave rightly. It is another thing entirely for one's heart to be oriented toward love. God listens to our hearts and knows that even if we keep the commandment not to kill one another, we can still hate and despise others. We are willing to kill relationships with others. Or to decide, as my feisty and unfortunately often bitter grandmother would, that person is dead to me. One commentator posits that Jesus offers a radical ethic, a reign of God ethic, one already hinted at in the list of Beatitudes preceding this discourse. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the pure in heart, all of these are blessed, not because they are exemplars, of the law, but because of the inward orientations of their hearts. The righteousness of this newly inaugurated kingdom of God is more than following the rules. It requires and empowers a life surrendered to God and neighbor. Jesus' intensification of the law in these verses points to what it's like to live in community, to think and speak well of others, to intend good things for them, not to treat others as objects, objects to be maligned, ogled, betrayed, or deceived, but rather to treat all as beloved children of God. In fact, we enact these very intentions weekly in our liturgy. After confession, we pass the peace prior to coming before God with our offerings. That is far more than a seventh inning stretch, my friends. In this action, we symbolically and sometimes actually reconcile with those with whom we have disagreements or harbor anger. We take each other by the hand or embrace and proclaim to one another the peace of the Lord. Only then are our hearts right to come before God with our gifts of thanks and praise. It's not as easy to not commit murder as you might have thought, is it? Jesus intensifies that sweeping law to show us its heart and intention and make us aware of ours. Now, y'all know how I love to point out when and where Jesus was a little countercultural and he displayed his feminist tendencies. 
I want you to notice that Jesus does not cast women as Jezebels who tempt helpless and hapless men, but rather is explicit that men who gaze upon women with lust are flouting the law, not just the act of committing adultery being taboo, but the objectification of any human being is violating the intent of the law. Dehumanizing another destroys individuals and it destroys communities. It is an affront to the heart of God and the heart of God's law. We easily acknowledge as we read these verses in Matthew the hyperbolic nature the exaggeration of Matthew's rhetoric with threats of hellfire, imprisonment, the plucking out of eyes, and the chopping off of hands. Why then do so many insist on the literal interpretation of this discourse on divorce? Perhaps it's because for many it feels so personal so relatable, so current. Of course, the thing that grieves God about divorce is that it is not God's intention for us. And of course, it is not our intention when we solemnly enter into that union either. It is sometimes simply unavoidable for a host of reasons. What is wrong is that our culture tells us that that's not a big deal. And that's just not true. Anyone who has been through divorce for whatever real and true reason a tie needed to be severed know for a fact that it is a big deal. It is heartbreaking even when it's freeing. It is painful, even when it's necessary. When I was senior warden at my church in Pennsylvania, this was the gospel reading on our newly called rector's first Sunday. God bless him. Before we even had a chance to know him, he dealt with the crazy, challenging topics of this text, including these verses about divorce. And I knew I thought he was pretty brave then. But I will tell you, after the past week or so, reading commentaries and digging down into it, most people just skip right over this. They'll talk about vows, they'll talk about making amends, they'll talk about adultery, but mm -mm, not divorce. I've never forgotten how directly he addressed this gospel, and I want to share with you an analogy he gave. Jonathan's analogy that has stayed with me is that divorce is like an amputation. You simply cannot pretend that a limb never existed. You continue to experience phantom pains even when the limb is gone. 
And that is not what our culture tells us. So it goes with the destruction of any relationship in our life, whether it's a spouse, a child, a parent, a cherished friend. The pain remains long after the severing of ties. It's simply the truth. We are not islands unto ourselves. God has created us and our hearts for community. And daily, we are being shaped for living in community. We are being held accountable for our baptismal covenant of honoring the dignity of every human being. Do right by everyone. Do not hate. Do not objectify. Do not dishonor. Do not lie. Not in action. Not in intention. Not in your heart. And of course we fail. We fail all the time. And if we could manage to do all of this on our own, if it were as easy as eating tomatoes for some of us, we would have no need of grace, no need of forgiveness. And now I'm not suggesting that Jesus is our get-out-of-jail-free card and therefore an excuse or a pass for bad behavior. Paul had plenty to say about that. But rather that we are exhorted to strive to do more than the bare minimum and to remember always that we are not doing it alone. See, I told you we could do Matthew. It's not so bad. It's not so bad when we have our hearts oriented towards God, when we live into the spirit of the law, because that is what brings us closer to a relationship with God and ultimately with each other.